Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Let me add my welcome to Michael's. And uh, kids, are, kids can be good at just shifting the blame a little bit, can't you? He kind of said I could take it up with God um, rather than him. It actually, it actually was one of those instances that I will just share briefly because it's it's a testimony of how God goes before. And uh, we were sitting in a Wednesday prayer meeting here probably about a month ago now. And the word, the Lord really impressed a word on my heart that I just couldn't get out of my mind. And it was a bit distracting because I couldn't join with the prayers of the people so much because this word was just sitting there. And at the time, I, um, I thought it was just for me and to pray and uh, over the next few days, as I unpacked it a bit with the Lord and sat with it, I actually said a dangerous thing to him. And it's about almost six years exactly since I last preached and I haven't missed it. I have never wanted or hankered to preach again. But as I was just excited with what we, he was showing to me or what I felt he was showing to me, I actually said, if ever you wanted me to preach again, this is what I would want to preach on. And I reckon it was about a week later that Michael rang and said, oh, I'm really sorry, this is short notice, but we wondered, you know, Peter and I wondered if you would speak on Mother's Day. And I asked what the topic was because that was my out clause. If it was going to be Revelation or the end times or something, I thought, that's a no-brainer. That is a very quick, easy, nah, sorry, not my bag. But he uh, went and looked and came back and said, well, actually, it's, it's open. So I thought, okay, come in, sucker. And um, so here we are. And, uh, and my prayer is that, the look, it is of the Lord and it does, you know, just touch someone this day. And it, as you can see on the screen, it's an invitation to joy. The word was joy and I really felt as I sat with it that the Lord is actually wanting to extend an invitation to his people and, and not just here at Kubi, in fact, probably, but beyond to experience a new depth of joy and a new understanding of the joy of the Lord. I don't know what you think of by way of definition when you think of the word joy. I actually have found it quite hard to define. It's a little bit elusive for me. We know that it's much more than happiness. We know that it's not dependent on circumstances. And there's a sense that it's something more sustained than just a fleeting glimpse. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And it is that. It's very much a feeling. But for those of us who are in Christ, there is so much more to it than that. I saw a great definition on Facebook of all places in the last couple of weeks, and they're here this morning, so uh, all credit to Danielle and Chris Locke. It was on their 10th year wedding anniversary post. And uh, they wrote, happiness is an emotion based on circumstances and outcomes. Joy is gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstances. And I really liked that. I don't know if it's a Locke original, a Danielle original. Go, Danielle. It was a very good definition. It's found numerous times in the Bible, the word joy. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms are full of it. Joy or rejoice are often, often found. The Greek word in the New Testament is karach meaning calm delight or inner gladness. And it's related to charis, from which we get the word grace. And the two together give us the verb kairo, which means to rejoice. 
to have joy because of grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines it this way. Joy, in other words, is the response and reaction of the soul to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Paul lists it in Galatians chapter 5.22 as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And he also uses it to describe the kingdom of God in Romans 14.17, when he says that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy. So it's something the Bible clearly expects to be present in our life in God, clearly a part of who he is. It's not to say that we don't experience sadness, have times of trial, times of suffering and mourning. We celebrate motherhood, but every mother knows and every woman who would want to be a mother knows that life is full of joys and sorrows and trials. But in all that, we don't despair. Many of you will be familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch lass during the Second World War who ended up in Auschwitz, one of the most horrendous concentration camps that Nazi Germany is known for. She survived and has written and spoken much since, but while in there she saw her younger sister Betsy tortured, mistreated and die. She's written this. Jesus did not promise to change the circumstances around us. He promised great peace and pure joy to those who would learn to believe that God actually controls all things. So I really feel the Lord is offering us, his people, an invitation to experience more and become known as a people of joy. As is his way from Abraham right down through the generations, he has blessed his people so that we might be a blessing. We all know, we hear all the time about the rising statistics of depression and anxiety in our community, in the church itself, and we hear and know, and I've seen it firsthand, the rising rates amongst children and young people. It's on the rise and it's like we have a key to the antidote, but we don't yet quite know how to walk through the door ourselves, let alone lead anyone else through it. We're often known more for what we're against than what we're for, for our negativity and for having killjoy attitudes. It's how we're perceived. We know that's not who we are, but it's often how we're seen. There's a common thought that to receive Jesus into your life means to cancel all fun. It's prevalent even among young people who grow up in the church. A couple of my own sons have that same view. And whilst we know Jesus talks about the narrow road, and the cost in walking the Christian life. For those of us who've tried it, we would know that there's an even greater cost to the wide road that leads to destruction. So we are those who have more cause to celebrate than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I don't think we've done it too well, but I think the Lord wants to change that. It's not something that we can manufacture. Joy is not something you get when you buy a new toy. You might for a moment, a new handbag, a new pair of shoes, might do it for the first week or two. Travelling the globe, surrounding ourselves with endless attempts, none of it lasts. We know that. So how do we respond to the invitation to joy? As always, the, the Word of God is full of keys. And this morning we're just going to look at a promise of Jesus and, uh, and just unpack it a bit. And we're going to go to John chapter 15, 9 to 11. 
And I'm just diving right into the middle of the chapter. I encourage you to read the full chapter later at home. For many of you, it will be familiar. These verses say, and I'll read it in the NIV, as that's what's on the screen. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In the Amplified, it adds to the remain in my love and do not doubt my love for you. I think that's an important little expansion in the Amplified. And if you keep my commandments and obey my teaching. It's an incredible chapter, a metaphor of, that Jesus uses of the vine and the branches to describe this incredible way of life that he invites us into where we make our home in him, receive our life from him and bear the fruit of his likeness. We're nourished from the inside out by his very life, his love and out of that life we will keep his commandments because of who we are in relationship with him. Jesus himself lived his life with the Father. He only ever did what he saw the Father doing And as we set our minds and our will to live in sync with him, to live a life in union with him, the result will be that we too will be kept in his love and his joy and delight will be full and complete. The if-yous of scripture have that little qualifier. If you, in this case, keep his commandments, then the promise follows. And often when we hear the word obey and commandments, we resist a bit. We go back to our childhood, back to the authoritarian mother who might have said, as I did, do as you're told, go and, you know, pick up your whatever or whatever the instruction of the moment was. And when, and, you know, I had four boys and so sometimes there was a bit of uh, delay in response from one or the other. And so it would become a very clear direction you know, and it's one of those moments where all mothers know it. All of a sudden you hear your own mother and you think, oh, I hate this. You know, I never wanted to sound like her. But here I go and it would be one, two, three. And we all knew what was going to happen when we got to three. I won't detail it because these days it's actually not very well received. But those of you who are my age will know what might come next. But, but it lingers in the mind, you know, and that was an obedience out of fear, not love, wasn't it? You know, it was, uh, oh, here we go again. We better get on and do it. But that's not the call of Jesus. That's not his call of obedience. His call is a call of love. It's a call to bless us with his life, with his abundant life. It's not a call to follow the rules of a moral code. It's not a call to a behaviour modification program. It's a call to receive a life, to be included in the fellowship of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and experience the fullness of love and joy and peace that is found in that place. It's a good deal. It's a much better deal than the mother who went one, two, three, I can tell you. Jesus berated the Pharisees for being worried about the externals and just tidying that up. It's not what his heart was. His heart was for us to abide in his love and be conformed and shaped to his likeness so that we would keep his commandments. Anyone who's walked with Jesus more than five minutes knows we don't do it perfectly, but we press on 
for the goal that he's, the Bible exhorts us to uh, set before us. Our reality often, though, is that we hold back from fully remaining in his love, from fully aligning ourselves with him. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And today I'm just going to suggest one. And I'm going to use a quote from A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think God is like shapes hugely the way we respond to him and the way we receive and seek his life. It affects, I believe, our ability to receive his joy and the fullness of life. How do you think of him? How do I think of him? Is it as that cosmic cop in the sky, the one who had the stern authoritarian voice who said, do as you're told or else, when you didn't always get a choice and you didn't like what you were being told to do, you didn't even ever get a reason why because mum could just say if she was in a hurry because I said so and did often, I will confess. Do you think he's just that little bit mean, just that little bit grumpy, always looking for you to step out of line? Is he the speed cop behind the bush with the radar gun waiting to catch you out? Or do you see him as the benevolent grandfather, slipping you an extra Freddo, turning a blind eye when you do it, you know, if you, can, if you just do it sneakily enough, you can get away with it. Not really the one who can give you all that you want and need, though. Maybe we flick between the two, depending on life circumstances and whether we're getting what we want at the time. Obviously, neither of those is an accurate view of God. And, and in our lucid and rational moments, we all know that. But in the heat of life, our defaults would sometimes suggest that there's a place in which we're yet to fully, really have grasped the majesty and the magnitude and the wonder of who he really is and what he's like. So what is he really like? We need to understand for starters that he is the king. He is the one on the throne and not us. We need to have that clear in our minds, our wills and our hearts and we need to remind ourselves of it, if you're anything like me, a zillion times a day. And he alone is altogether worthy to have it that way, altogether worthy. I think this is at the heart of what it means to fear the Lord, to rightly know who he is, to rightly know who we are and to know how it is that we are in relationship to him. We're going to read some verses from Isaiah 33 and it might seem a bit left field but when I was sitting with the Lord in the days after that prayer meeting with the word joy or at the prayer meeting itself, he actually took me to this scripture and I was, you know, it, it came as... Isaiah 33 in my mind and I thought oh this must be about joy and I couldn't find joy anywhere in the chapter I thought that's I've heard wrong but as I sat with it these verses became clearly a key the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high he will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness he will be the sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. If ever we lived in a time where we need salvation, wisdom and knowledge, I think it's now. And the fear of the Lord, the scripture tells us, is the key to this treasure. And many others, by the way, if you ever are bored on a Sunday afternoon, 
have a look up in your concordance, fear of the Lord. There are so many incredible promises. Ask him to show you what it means to rightly fear the Lord. As we come to recognise that he is king, all-powerful, just, wise, full of love, grace and mercy, but the one whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts. We cannot make him in our image and shape him to our will, but we must yield our will to him and be shaped to his likeness. As we release control of our life to him, as Corrie ten Boom mentions, the Holy Spirit can come and conform us to his likeness, align our mind and our will to his, and we can experience that abundant life. Jesus himself came to show us what the Father is like. In John 14, he clearly tells the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are one and the same God, not some split personality, good cop, bad cop. I'm not pretending to know the full story of what God is like. I believe Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says we will never fully know him until that day when we see him face to face. Until then, we only see in part. So there's mystery and there's a lot of mystery about God and that is right and true because he is God and we are not. And our part is to be able to hold that mystery intention and experience the reality that he invites us into in the fellowship of the Father, Son and Spirit. If you read the Gospels to find out what Jesus is like, you'll see that he loved to party, he loved to celebrate, he loved to sit and share a meal, he loved to uh, get in the face of the people who were killjoys, shall we say. He had a good sense of humour, he even shows a bit of sarcasm, which some of us enjoy. If you look at creation and think about it when you see some of the living creatures, you know he must have had a smile on his face when he was creating. Anyone who's been to the zoo with little boys and stood at the baboon cage and had them giggle and point at the red butts for endless times can't help but smile. Watching a giraffe get up to eat the leaves and then try and get down to drink the water, what's that about? You know, giraffes, they could have just been black or white, they're striped. If you go out into nature anywhere and look around you, you see the smile of an abundant God. He could have given us a black and white world. He didn't have to do sunrise and sunset. He didn't have to put all those different shades of green. When I was a kid, we had a box of 12 texture pens and you had two shades of green. Now you get those incredible boxes of 9,500 textures and pencils. And God has more than that. You know, it's no wonder there's choice anxiety all around us. Green was green, but but that's not our God. He's a technicolour, multicolour, smiling God. Yes, he weeps with those who weep, but he also rejoices with those who rejoice. And the best thing of all is that he brings, he sings over us. You know, in Zephaniah 3.17, it says he rejoices over you with singing he delights in you. He actually likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes us. It's hard to fathom, I know, and especially sometimes you look at that person that you don't really like and think, oh, how can God like them, you know? But he does. And the actual thing is he didn't actually set us up to be the judge of ourselves or anybody else. So it's not actually our call as to whether we think we're likable or not. It's actually his. 
And in Jesus Christ, he has said yes and amen. He does like us. He does love us. It's powerfully highlighted in the story in Luke 15. And many of you will be familiar with the story of the prodigal son and the father. We're not going to turn to it, but in a nutshell, if you're not familiar with it, there's a wealthy father. He has two sons. And the younger son says, I'm over this, I've had enough, give me my money, I'm out of here. Takes off, goes and parties, hits rock bottom as partying sons often do and in an absolute desperate state decides it's time to go home. Picks himself up and goes back to beg his father for mercy and the father, as, as those who are familiar will know, runs out to meet him, doesn't even wait for the excuses, which gets me, I'd like to hear I'd like to hear a bit of groveling myself, but not the father. He runs and his arms are open and he's just saying, come on in. I'm so glad you're back. He washes, you know, he has him clean, gives him the best robe, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet and throws the biggest party ever for this kid before he's even got I'm sorry out of his mouth. It's an incredible picture of abundant, extravagant love, but there's also an incredible tragedy in it in that the older brother who stayed home to work the farm is outside and refuses to go in. He's never caught the heart of the father and the love and the generosity and the grace of the father. And he's too busy outside saying, what about me? Where's mine? I've been here. I've slaved my butt off for you and I've got nothing. And the father leaves the party and goes out to say, what are you doing? It's been here in front of you all along but you never came and got it. We need to be so careful as people who've walked with God a long time that we don't get so busy serving him and doing what we think are the right things that we forget to enjoy him, that we forget to rest in him, to celebrate with him, to experience that joy. And we need to be really careful that we don't make it hard for the younger brother when he comes back, that we don't put the obstacles in front of him that the older brother would have, but that we have the heart of the father that says, thank goodness you're here, come on in. I think that's one of the things he really has gifted Kubi with is there seems to be a grace for people to feel safe and that's his heart, that's what he wants. So I just, in closing, I just want to just give a few Practical things that I think we can do, things that ways that we can cultivate this joy. Anybody who's a gardener knows that there are some things that you can do in a garden that help the plants to grow. And I think it's the same with our spiritual life. We all know that the life is in the seed and, you know, the rain and things, the seed grows up and brings the plant. But if we water it and weed it and fertilise it, it grows so much stronger. And I think there are some things that the Lord gives us in our walk with him that can help his work in us. So whilst it's a gift, joy is a gift and it's his to bestow, I think we can cultivate. And this is not an exhaustive list and it's not in any order of priority. If we were to do a quiz and I gave you all a piece of paper and said write down, we would probably come up with a hundred things that we can do. You can talk about that over coffee. But number one, and I think this one is order of priority, this one is top, remain in his love. Stay in the vine. It is his gift to us. It comes from him. Cultivate friendship with Jesus. Feed on his word. Don't just read it but allow it to nourish you. 
You can sit in front of a beautiful meal, take photos, post them on Instagram and never actually eat it and enjoy it. By the time you get around to eating it, it's stone cold and you don't really finish it. It doesn't do you any good. The Word of God can be like that. We can hear about it. We can know we should, but we can actually not sit with it. Take hold of the treasure that Jesus offers in relationship with him. When it says you're loved, believe it. Don't add that can't mean me. Read the Gospels. Get to know what Jesus is like from him, not from the experience of others. Podcasts are great, but don't just listen to podcasts. Somebody else's knowledge of God is not the same as your friendship with him. It can seem easier. You can do it on the run. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's not a great thing. But don't let it be the only thing. And don't wait for the big things. Look for the little intersects with life, for the mums with little children, for the mums with the baby who's tired and worn out. Just look for the little joys. They'll be there in the day. If you have eyes to see, the Lord will show you. Don't miss him waiting for the big things. He's right there in the everyday. Number two, celebrate. The Jewish people were really good at it. They had festivals for everything. They ate, they drank, they danced. They looked for opportunities to celebrate life together with others, to celebrate the goodness of God in the small as well as the big. Richard Foster's written a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's an excellent book and he actually has the practice of celebration in there as a discipline, as something that we should be intentional in. And he describes it as utter delight and joy in ourselves, our lives and our world as a result of our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty and goodness. There is something to celebrate because of who he is. So be generous. He is a generous God. Be generous like him and live open-heartedly towards others. Share in their joys as well as their sorrows. And don't necessarily wait for it to be a big one. Celebrate the little joys. Take time to have fun together and make time to not take yourself too seriously. Sometimes it's good to just have a laugh. Number three, slow down in your head. I think this is a day and an age where it can get very busy in our heads. We have labour-saving devices that can do more and more of the menial chores that used to give you time to just think while you were doing the dishes or the pegging the washing out or whatever it is. And it just gave you time to let life slow. Now we spend more and more time in front of screens. We have more and more access to information. And life gets busy in our heads, even if it's not busy in our reality. And we can be exhausted just thinking about what we have to do. Try and catch those thoughts and unpack them and sift them and... Work out what's real, what needs to be addressed and what can just be put aside, which actually doesn't matter. Turn off the phones a bit. Take some time away from them. For young parents, I just want to encourage you. I don't know where that's coming from. It's, it's a wonderful journey, parenthood, but it can be one of the most testing journeys ever. And for young mums in this day, I actually really feel for you because the access to information is overload on speed. We just had our mothers and our mother-in-laws to worry about. 
And I was blessed to have pretty good ones, especially my mother-in-law was an amazing lady. Um, but, but now you have so many opinions. How on earth are you supposed to figure out what to do with your child? Let me encourage you. The grace of God covers a multitude of sins and a multitude of mistakes. Jeff and I used to pray for wisdom and, um, and we made many mistakes. And we knew we did, we knew we did, but nobody gives you a practice run. You don't get a dummy run. Poor old Michael was number one and he was the, de- he was the test dummy. And he turned out pretty good, I have to say. He turned out excellently. That is the grace of God. You know, it is the grace of God. People will say to us, you must be very proud. And we, we are, but we know better than anybody that it's the grace of God. And he will be gracious to you and your children. And he covers over. You know, those times when you, you should have sat and cuddled a bit longer, but you had to get on to do something. You should have been that bit more patient. You should have explained a bit more. You should have done, should have, would be such a common. Don't beat yourself up. Don't compare yourself to the one mum next door or the one you see on social media. Don't judge yourself. Just put it down. One of our sons who, who you don't know, well, other than family, um, particularly copped the rough end of our parenting. He was our challenged child and we didn't handle him well and, and we apologised to him. And, you know, probably about 10 years ago when he was well and truly a young adult and by the grace of God he has turned out so much better than we ever thought he, thought he might. He's not yet walking with the Lord, but, um, but he's a wonderful, responsible young man. He lives on the other side of the world. But I was apologising to him yet again when he was about 24 for something I'd done to him. And he turned around and said to me, Mum, you need to get over it. I actually have turned out okay, I think, and in a, you need to get over it. And I was actually very grateful for that. And it just showed to me that... that you know, God's forgiveness is the same. It was almost like God was saying to me at the time, you need to get over it. You will make mistakes. That's okay. God is with you in the mistakes. And don't get all your advice off social media. There are some real nutters out there. I'm sorry, but there are some real nutters. It's a worry. Moving on, be wide-eyed with wonder. A little toddler just is wide-eyed with wonder at so many little things. We don't need to go far to be things to be wide-eyed with wonder at if you just open your eyes. Go outside, look around, look up, look around, look at a small child, borrow someone's toddler if you haven't got one and take them to the park and watch them practice something and master, well, someone you know, not someone you don't know, don't steal one. Just find a mum who's at the end of a rope and say, can I borrow your toddler for a few hours? And take them to the park and watch them. Watch them love the little things. Watch them sit and watch an ant. Be wide-eyed with wonder. It's a big, wide world. Don't get so sophisticated that you can't enjoy the simple things. And be thankful. Cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. It is a powerful, powerful tool that God gives us. I guarantee you if you start to give thanks intentionally for the small things, you will find the way you view life will shift. And I'll try and tell it quickly, but I will just give you a testimony of, from our marriage because it, it was really the situation where God taught us about thanksgiving and it has been a bit of a pillar for our marriage as well as, as many situations in our life. And it was 
probably about six or seven years into our marriage. We celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. But we had a season where it had gone very cold. We weren't um, enjoying each other. We weren't connecting well. We weren't fighting openly as such because we're not the fight openly kind of people. I run a mile from that, I will admit. Um, so fighting like that never worked well for us. But we had both withdrawn from each other and it was a very loveless marriage at that stage. And Jeff in particular was getting a little bit desperate. And uh, divorce was something that we had made a decision early on that we would never consider. So that wasn't an option. He was pondering murder but had decided that was probably no better option. It wouldn't be good for the kids if, if nothing else. And so he, one day he was in his desperation, he was out walking as he often did and asking the Lord, what, what then? You know, do I have to put up with this woman for the rest of my life? And the Lord gave him a key and he, he gave him a part of a verse which is in Proverbs that says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And so as, uh, as he pondered that, he decided that the practical outworking of that was for us to intentionally give thanks for each other. It was a little bit tricky at that point. It's like, where do I start with that when I'm struggling? But the Lord very graciously gave us one thing each. And for Jeff, it was that I was a good mother to our children. And for me, <clears throat> for me, it was that he used to turn his dirty socks the right way out and put them in the washing basket. That might sound like a small thing, but the women that do the washing will know it ain't no small thing. Yeah, Pauline's, Pauline's with me. And I had mums, you know, I used to go to play a group. I had mums who talked and they were picking their husband's clothes off the floor. So I thought, okay, I can start with that. So, I, you know, we gave thanks for that. And then the next day something else came to mind and the next day something else. We, we feel, and it's a bit hard to know because we didn't actually mark it on the calendar, but after about two weeks we realised that the affection had returned to our marriage, that we no longer couldn't stand each other, but that actually it was on the up and, and it's still on the up. Like it's, you know, we have had an incredibly blessed marriage, but it has become a pillar of our lives in those times in marriage where it does go a bit dry and crusty and, and it's easier to criticise. You know, we all have those seasons where you can see the faults in anybody more than you can see the blessings. And in those seasons... It's our go-to and it's, it's been such, such a help to us. So I encourage you, cultivate thanksgiving. Praise and worship, the Psalms are full of encouragement to praise the Lord, often with singing and dancing. We're Baptist, I know, but that's okay. We, it's a new day. Let me encourage you, it's a new day. Don't just wait to praise and worship when you come to church. Have a praise party at home. It doesn't have to be singing if you can't stand the sound of your own tune. Shout out loud. Do something. Whatever it is that just helps you get out that praise to God. Remember how good he is. Remember his power and his majesty, his goodness. And thank him for it. And finally, hope. Particularly in the hard seasons, in times of mourning and suffering, remember that our hope is a sure thing. The writer of Hebrews 6.19 said, it's like an anchor, secure, solid and penetrating into that inner place behind the curtain. Remembering who we have our hope in can help us receive joy even in the midst of trial. 
This is by no means, as I said, an exhaustive list. You'll all have things to add. At the end of the day, we don't seek joy. We don't go after joy. We seek more of God, more understanding and experience of what it is to remain, to abide and to dwell in the vine. And as we do, we will bear fruit. And one of those fruit that his spirit brings forth in our life is joy. And it will be complete and full and overflowing. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. Our tendency sometimes can be to want the benefits of God minus the person of Christ. It's not how it works. We're going to have a time of a couple more songs in a moment, I think. And uh, I want to just encourage you as we do. Sometimes we find our hands, you know, we put our hands out to receive from God. If you want to receive a gift, you have to have your hands open, don't you? You have to actually unwrap it. And sometimes in our life, there are things that we want to hold on to. Different seasons of life, something comes to the surface and there's something that we want to hang on to. And we find ourselves with our hands just a little bit clenched. And it's really hard to receive the gift if your hands are clenched. So I really want to encourage you this morning, as we come to that time of worship, to just open your hands. To open your hands and receive whatever it is that God might want to give you. It may be that he wants to take something from you. It might be that there's something you're to give him. It may be a pain attached to your mother. It might be a sorrow attached to your children. It might be nothing to do with that. It might be something completely. It might be a fear of what he might do if you give him everything. There's a line out of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe referring to describing Aslan, the lion, who is the type of Christ in the movie. And, and the question is asked by the children, is, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? And the answer is no, he's not safe, but he's king. And he is the one with the ultimate, ultimate hold, you know. He loves us, his grace holds us, and he is good. He is good. So I just encourage you this morning, if there's something that you need to let go of to receive from him, don't take it away again. Just give it over. You'll be so blessed and so glad you did. He doesn't rip anybody off. I have to say time and time again, I've given something with a little bit of fear and trepidation, but I have received so much more in response. You can never outgive him. And just in closing, there's an incredible promise and invitation in Psalm 16, and I'm just going to read the last part of it. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Trust him in that. There really is. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website, 
at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.